0: And there have been a ton of studies out there that show if women focus on what their purpose is, what their mission is for being there, they'll be able to get all that other stuff out of the way. Instead of thinking about, oh, my hair or (laughs) this dress is uncomfortable or, you know, all that other junk just goes away if we literally can get to the place where we're focusing on our, our purpose for being there. Welcome
1: to Business With Purpose. I am your host, Molly Stillman, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week I get to sit down and have a conversation with an incredible person, a community leader, activist, author, speaker, CEO of a fortune 500 company and all of the above. And I get to hear how they are using their skills, their God given gifts, not only in their personal lives, but also with their career. My goal with this show is to show you the listener that no matter where you are, no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact. My guest this week is Jane Hanson. Jane grew up in rural Minnesota, coming to New York three decades ago to join NBC as an anchor and correspondent in New York. She co-anchored Today in New York and hosted Jane's New York. She's covered events ranging from the tragedy of 9-11 to the joy of the Yankees' victory parades to Wall Street, Washington. She's interviewed presidents, business leaders, prisoners, celebrities. She's traveled as far as the Gobi Desert in Mongolia and the Great Depth Miles, below New York City for her special reports. She has won nine Emmys. (laughs) No big deal. She was named Correspondent of the Year by New York's police detectives and firefighters. So many awards. She is also incredibly generous, has worked with incredible nonprofits and uh, community organizations making an impact. And currently, in her current life, she is a much sought after communications coach, working with top tier leaders in every field while continuing to emcee, speak, and host broadcasts. Such a fun conversation that I have with Jane, and such a small world. It uh, happens that Jane actually worked with my my cousin years ago so I have a nice little like family in common we just had the best conversation it was so rich and I just learned so much from her and she's one of those people that I could honestly probably do an entire podcast series with just listening to her tell stories because she's been there on the front lines for so many uh, you know just memorable things that have happened in our in our country's history in our world's history so many things Um, She is just what a gift she is, and you are going to absolutely love her. So without further ado, let me get into my conversation with Jane Hansen. Well, I am so excited to welcome my guest this week, and that is Jane Hansen. And she and I, before we were even recording, were talking about what a small world it is and how uh, years ago, you worked with my cousin and uh, a former boss of mine. And so we have all these mutual uh, kind of friends and family in common, and so now i already feel like I know you. And so I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Thank you for being here.
0: Well, thank you for having me. And I, I love that spiritual kind of connection. It gives you an instant, you instantly either like someone better, or you feel like (laughs) you've got a way of knowing them, knowing that they know people that they like people that you like and that you love, blah, blah, blah. It's all cool. I know. Yeah. It's, it's that
1: instant connection. I love it. Well, Jane, I'm so just eager to learn more about you and uh and just the incredible experience that you have but before we do that let's just have you do what all my guests do and that's give us the Jane 101 so who you are what you do and how you got to where you are today all right
0: so uh this jane is um a communications coach meaning i do media presentation video coaching i do a lot of speaking mcing across all kinds of media platforms and in front of any kind of audience anywhere that will let me come and talk to them. And um, and I'm talking, it's all about communication. And where did I learn about all of this? By being a broadcaster for the NBC networks in New York for almost 30 years. And I started that at a very young age, growing up in rural Minnesota, um, town of 2,500 people, which is the most amazing thing because we didn't have a stoplight. And then I moved to New York City where there are stoplights I don't even know how many tens of thousands of stoplights. I think there, there are. are I think stoplights
1: have stoplights. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, bottom line is, my life went from a little girl in a rural tiny town where just about everybody in the town was related to me, to a <laughs> giant city that um, actually kind of took me in its arms and let me be a success. So it was really, it was really truly wonderful. But my background is is really all about broadcasting and communications, and to me, life. Life is all about communicating, and you communicate every day in thousands of ways, and you don't even realize what you're saying or telling or doing. And so it's something I love to help people do better. That's what I do.
1: I love it. And I am so curious what is it that took you from rural Minnesota to New York, where you went from no stoplights to stoplights on stoplights?
0: I would say um, a couple of things, one of which is my father was an incredible inspiration for me. And when I was a little girl, and I mean really little, like four or five, six years old, he would read stories from the newspaper to me. And I got this quest then for wanting to see the world Mm. and this this insatiable curiosity about asking questions and learning what I could and then sharing it. So I think that's where the the, kind of the quest to become a journalist came from. Then secondly, I just got damn lucky. And um, one of my favorite stories is I was working uh, in one of my very first jobs in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is the 72nd, then the 72nd market in terms of television rankings in the country. And I had been I'd been lucky enough to have been asked to have gone to New York City for an interview at a television station, which, by the way, I failed miserably in that job. I was way too green. I was like 23 years old. And there's no way I was going to be hired to be the main anchor at a television station in the largest city in the country. So um, anyway, what happened is. Then about a month or two later I get a phone call from this other gentleman who says hello, I'm Ron Kershaw from WNBC TV in New York and I went yeah sure right and I hung up <laughs> I was sure it was somebody pulling a prank because I told all of my TV friends, everybody I knew I'm moving to New York and they're like uh-huh, sure you are So this guy calls back again and he says the same thing and I hung up again so he one more time he calls I he's write this number down, I write the number down. And then I and hung up and then I call the number back because I'm thinking to myself, I'm just going to find out who's the jokester here. And I hear, good afternoon, WNBC TV, Ron Kershaw's office. And I nearly fainted because it was a real person and it was really who he said he was. And so I tell his assistant who I am and she starts to laugh and she goes, we were wondering if you were going to call back. (laughs) (laughs) And that I got hired by this guy and um and that began the story of an amazing career in new york and at nbc and i i think the the lesson learned is a probably i caught his attention because i was not taking something seriously but also <laughs> just just being kind of persistent about i don't buy into this so and i think he thought that meant something in terms of my capabilities or who i really was mm. so, anyway but a joke what i thought was a joke turned into be an amazing really um, pushing me forward to a great career
1: okay i love that story because i think so many of us can relate to some moment in our lives where we have like put our foot in our mouth or
0: like just done something where we go why why did i do that <laughs> I exactly and just like it's just crazy so anyway that's what happened i put my foot in my mouth and it actually just push my butt forward.
1: Well, you know, and that's, and that's kind of what I was thinking is like, so often, sometimes that those situations happen where we we do something and we go, ah, oh, like, why did I do that? But for you, it turned into this just incredible opportunity. And I love thinking about uh, the assistant and, and him just in his office oh. being like, she'll call back. Don't worry. She's going to,
0: she's going to yeah. realize. Yeah. It's like, it was and and they were all laughing and so anyway and he wasn't used to being treated like that usually people are you know falling oh yeah over heels and so. i think
1: sometimes with people in positions like that when somebody like you comes across and doesn't uh you know fawn over them or right. uh right. it's it's almost like they have this additional level of respect of like okay well now i have to earn her. I got to, I got to work for this a little bit more.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Cause I'm sure he thought, Oh, Oh goody. When do I get to show up?
1: (laughs) Well, okay. So you started, uh, at NBC and you had this incredible, uh, you know, career that spanned, uh, you know, 30 years, won multiple Emmys. You've traveled the world, I'm so curious, like what when you have a career like that, that on paper looks just a, a, a dream is a dream. That there's so many people that would be like, "Gosh, what an amazing career!" Um, I, I'm curious. I have kind of two parts of this question. The first question I I want to ask is, what part of it really challenged you the most? Was really uh, maybe unexpected or difficult, or really stretched you in a way that? you know, looking back, you're like, man, I'm really glad that that I went through that in order to gain X, Y, and
0: Z. Well, I'll, there's there's a bunch of different things that come to mind. One of the things is that for 18 years of that career, I did an early morning newscast that started, it started first at 6.30, then it went to 6 a.m., and then it went to 5.30, and then it went to 5 a.m. So I got up at 3.20 in the morning. Ooh. 18 years, not 319, not 321, but 320. I still have sleeping issues today. And many mornings I wake up at 320. Mm. Um, And I don't stay up, thankfully. So my life was out of kilt with the rest of the world. Mm. And that was hard because I went to bed at 8 or 830 at night and I took a nap every day. But I'll tell you the one, but there was a silver lining in that, in that when my daughter was born, I was actually, I never had to put up with that, getting her ready for school in the morning, which was <laughs> a nightmare for most people. But yeah. for me, I got to avoid that. But I was able to pick her up most afternoons. And when she started school sports, I got to go to almost every game, et cetera. So, um, but that being out of kilt with the rest of the world. And I used to, at night, sometimes, you know I when I'd be off on a vacation or something, i go, wow, there's life after 8 p.m. <laughs> so, so that adjusting the schedule, but you know, they're never in the in the television news industry. There's never a perfect schedule. Yeah, bad news always happens. Something extraordinarily always happened on the Friday night before the Saturday. I was about to take off on a trip, and I had many things that I had to make. You know, I had to give up in order to have that career. Yeah. Um. The second thing was being a woman in it at a time when women were not necessarily treated the same i mean there were many times i know i made less money than than my male counterparts um, i know i had to fight for a long time i had to fight to be able to do st- sports stories so there were those kinds of challenges and then the third thing is you always have to be on because you never know when there's going to be a moment like you can't you, you can't afford to be a crab apple yeah. you can't afford to be mean to people because they'll then spread the word that, you know, that TV news anchor you like so much in real life, she's a B, you know what? Um, So you're constantly on guard and you're a bit of a minor celebrity kind of pulls into that as well. People recognize you and they'll say things to you. You have to develop a hard skin. Like I hated that story you did. Or Mm. why were you so mean to that person you interviewed? Or um, there just, there can be a lot of criticism and negativity. And you have to develop this kind of exterior that says wow i just have to accept that and if this is the job i want this is what it's going to entail so on you know the wondrous side of watching history being made before my very eyes interviewing some of the most magnificent people in the world and some of the worst people in the world Mm. and and all of that experience there's this other side of it that that can be um challenging the hours are long The things that you see can be horrific, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's just, it's just amazing. So it's the good and the bad and the ugly in there.
1: Yeah, man, I, uh, you know, and I was thinking as you were talking about how your career spanned such a wide range too of technology and Mm -hmm. how, you know, when you started your career, there were not cell phones or the internet. I mean, I think about that, you know, just with growing up and, and I you know, try to explain to my kids all the time, like what life was like before the internet. And they're like, what'd you do? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Read books. Played outside. (laughs) Drank from a water hose attached to my house. You have to like let the warm water come out first, then you get the cold water. You know all that, but you know. um, (laughs) And my kids are like looking at me like I'm I'm you know insane, you know. But thinking about too, like specifically in an industry like uh, journalism and broadcast media how the you know, how your job, what you did and what it looked like changed so drastically, but also the impact that it had on you, kind of like you said, being on guard, because, you know, early on, yeah, you were you were just on TV. But then as it shifted, then you have you add the internet and you add social media and all those Uh kinds of things. And it, it really shifts. I'm curious, like for you did you feel that? Did you feel that change over the decades from, from no internet and social media to internet and social media, and also having to be on TV and
0: all those kinds of things? Absolutely. Because part of it made our lives easier with yeah. the technology, because there was such instant communication. Right. I mean, we communicated by two way radios and um, satellite phones and things like that. Yeah. But I mean, we still had probably the highest technology that existed in its current form Yeah, as we went along. But, you know, I'll never forget the very first live remote I ever did where we actually could be doing something live from a, a different location and, and did an entire newscast from there. And everybody's got their fingers crossed that it's going to work because we're bouncing signals, especially in New York, when those live trucks you would see. You would bounce signals off the building so it could reach the satellite so it could get back to our main um, hub at Rockefeller Center. And um, and you were just, you know, hoping that something didn't get in the way of it to today where, you know, you and I are talking like this because we turned our computers on and uh, hooked up to the Internet. So technology, I loved I just I reveled in watching its development and what we could do with it. And I always wanted to be at the very front of that because I felt like it just made our ability to deliver our messages to people easier. And so that was great. But when it fails and it does, that would be a nightmare because we had many moments in time when we had to backstrap things. I remember doing things like being overseas where we would have cables stretched And and all kinds of of wires and different adapters and all kinds of things stretched all over rooms, just trying to be able to get a signal. My favorite favorite technology story, however, is the following. I was in Greece covering the Olympics in 2004. And before the Olympics started, we got there early to do some kind of fun stories ahead of time. So we went to a little island that, um, I can't remember the name of it now, and we were Going to broadcast live from the top of an abbey, which is at the top of the highest point on the island, which was kind of a little mountain. Yeah. But to get our gear to do this live remote, we had to put the, our saddle, our little our satellite technology, our satellite equipment on the back of donkeys. <laughs> the donkeys carry it up there because the cars could not go up this. Amazing. Yeah. So and I I wish to God I had those pictures today. I don't know. I can't find them. But it was so. Hilarious because I mean, just picture this. And then when we got to the abbey, there was a monk dressed in his brown cassock with a great big skeleton key that opens up the door that leads up these very narrow, probably two thousand year old steps that are taking us up to the top so we can do our broadcast.
1: I love that so much. <laughs> I had the mental I don't I don't need pictures because I have one in my mind's eye and it is better than anything I could. Have
0: i know it's just it was just so that to me is the epitome of where of where we were and then you fast forward to things like well that was in 2004 but i mean like during the during one of the iraqi wars we we even had cameramen who could carry this miniature satellite equipment on their backs so they could broadcast from anywhere yeah i mean just think about that
1: yeah it's incredible. And it's so funny. A couple of weeks ago, um a local news station uh, came over to my farm and did a little like, human interest story on me. And it was really interesting. and it's funny because I didn't, like tell anybody about this. It was just one of those things I was like, this is kind of awkward. Um, but she the reporter was so nice. And it was so fascinating to me because she did the entire video and audio all recorded on her iPhone. And I said to her, I just said, that is unbelievable to me. And she said, the reality is, is that's where stuff is moving. And she said, because the camera quality, the audio quality with a lav mic, she's like, it's as good, if not better than some of those massive cameras that we used to carry around five, 10 years ago. And so now they just equip all the reporters with iPhones. And I just thought, like, that is mind-blowing. Mind blowing. Well, it is. It
0: is. But we have a computer in here. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so when I first started at NBC, when I would go out to do a story, we would have the cameraman lugging or woman lugging that giant camera. Huge. We would have a sound person who would have carry that equipment but would be plugged into, and of course they had to run together if they were running to the scene of something, we would have a lighting person who would carry portable lights. There would be a producer and then there would be someone else because we were shooting on videotape and we would take that. And then that, that video would then be rushed back to the studio so that it could be edited. And so I would have a crew of five people with me. You had a reporter with an iPhone.
1: Yep and she was alone and she's she's like i can pretty much do everything from here i'm I, unbelievable so i just thought what the broadcast journalists are like what would walter cronkite say <laughs> i mean like just just think of like the broadcast journalists of of 40 50 60 years ago <laughs> like
0: they would they would probably be thrilled Yeah. because they would have the ability to capture a moment. Yeah. You know, I sometimes used to be jealous of some of the the print reporters, I'm calling them, because, um, you know, the newspaper reporters who would carry a notebook with them. And they could go in so many places and um, be able to write their notes and do that kind of thing. Whereas I had to have that camera with me. Yeah. And and I always had to, the camera had to be in place. And sometimes the, the videographer would say, Oh, Jane, I wasn't rolling yet. Uh, Oh, oh. you missed it. Yeah. So there's, I I think we have an ability now to capture a lot of things. My concern about it is that we get at a, like a television news station, for example, can get videos in from all kinds of people coming in from a scene of anything. Yeah. But you don't know the perspective of it. Right. So you don't know. What part is true mm-hmm. and by I mean, you know pictures don't really lie, but you don't know from the angle of it. you don't know. I mean, think about a television replay of a football game. They've got five or six different angles when they're looking at it, and they're they so they can tell you then, oh, yeah, we can see from this one picture that the football that the the guy's knee touched the ground first, right, or something. But when you've got these videos coming in from a number of different people who are not trained journalists, and and you're looking at it, You you're not really sure what the truth is. So you can show it, but you have to be able to say, we've got this from somebody from this source. This is what they showed us. We don't know the angle. We don't know the perspective. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. such an interesting point. And I love the way that you compared it to a, f- a football game replay. Um, we're big football fans in our house. And mm-hmm. you're right. And and it's like sometimes you'll be watching a replay of something and you'll be like, but he was in, he was in. And then you see another camera angle and you go, oh, he wasn't. And y- yeah, this leads into almost a whole nother conversation for another podcast episode. So I won't go down this rabbit trail, but I'll just briefly touch on it. Is it does is it opens the door when you have you know anybody sending in photos, videos? You you don't know what's manipulated. You don't know what is um, selectively cropped. You don't know uh, you know how something is shot. And then also the reality is, as we we live in a world where a lot of media you know media companies, for the most part, they have their own bias and perspective. And so they're going to also take that footage and they could, you know, you could have a super conservative media outlet over here, show the same video as a super liberal media outlet over here, but the perspective is totally different and the way they, they address it or spin it, you know? And so anyway, you're right. It's, it's a slippery slope. So it's like both this blessing and a curse all in one. And, uh, but but yeah, what an interesting, um, just kind of fascinating growth and development, um, over the years. Cause you're right. It's
0: totally it, different. Yeah. I mean, there's, we have used the term citizen journalist for yeah. that kind of footage, but you have to be careful. Yeah. You have to be responsible and that there is a response, such a, such a heavy responsibility that comes with being a journalist. Yeah. And, you know, people are always, they're very critical and, I felt, I've, I keenly felt it when I was doing stories, especially stories that I might have a feeling about. I'll tell you when it got really hard was after my daughter was born and I became a mother. Mm. And that's when I started to, when I do some of these stories, I would feel like, oh, oh, that story makes me so, I want, I'm i so angry, but mm. I couldn't allow that anger to show I only had to tell the facts, yeah, and let the people that were watching decide for themselves because that's their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're, ooh, you're right.
1: Ooh, I could go down a rabbit hole, but I won't. Um, <laughs> well, the, the second, so the second part of that question that I wanted to ask um, when I was asking about what was hard challenges, and that kind of led us into just the the change in media this is more just a selfless uh, or a selfish curiosity question is uh of you know, of all of the, the stories that you covered over, um, you know, of a few decades and some of the, I mean, you were there on the scene for so many things. Um, I mean, I can only imagine what it was like to cover 9-11 and things like that for you. But are there any stories in particular that like really stand out for one reason or another that just you will will just never leave you? And I realize that there's probably a lot, but are there any that are kind of top of top of mind?
0: Do you have a couple hours? I know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned 9-11 just briefly. I was the first reporter at NBC on the air. Mm-hmm. And, and it was simply because I was selfishly sitting in the studio waiting to go to a fashion show because it was fashion week in New York City. Yeah, And one of my favorite designers was having her show at nine o'clock and I was ready to do an update at 850 or 855. And so I'm in the studio and somebody, a, a producer says to me in my ear, we think it's a plane that just hit one of the World Trade Center buildings, start talking. And of course, I had no information. and um, But I just, you know, we showed the picture that we had from our camera on the Empire State Building. And we're looking down at the World Trade Center. And, you know, we they were instantly trying to find eyewitnesses. And so they got a janitor who lives on West 12th Street in Manhattan. And his name was Anthony. And Anthony says to me on the phone, I, he says, yeah, I saw that plane. We thought it was just a plane At first, we thought it was a small plane that had gotten off course or something. And um, he said, I saw that plane. It was big. It was silver and blue. And it was, I swear, it revved up its engine as it ran into that building. And you got to pray because everybody's dead. Those are the first words that come out of this guy's mouth. It's like at that point, 8.48 in the morning. And the thing happened at 8.46 or something like that. And I'm going Uh, We can't speculate on any of this because everything this guy's just said, I'm like the death part, you know? Yeah. Um, So I said, so, and I have nowhere to go. I have nobody else to talk to. I have no information. I have this one picture. So I say, Anthony, let's just review exactly what you saw. And so he went back over the, you know, he talked about the size of the plane, which immediately dismissed our thoughts that it was a small plane, et cetera. He talked about watching it hit and what it looked like. And so, you know, now we knew that it had to be some kind of a commercial aircraft. Um, and then that revving up the engine part, I said, well, how did you you know, explain that to me? And and so so he did that. And and then he went back to the we have to pray for these people because how could they survive? Hmm. And I mean, it turned out that he was absolutely right yeah. about everything he said. So that was a tough day. And I was on the air for almost eight hours straight. Yeah. And so that was that was I mean I'll, obviously I'll never forget that day. Um, wow. Another super poignant moment for me was uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa. He was in New York to speak at the UN, and I went down to a park in Lower Manhattan to interview him. And you know, as a reporter, we're always busy and always wanting to move on to the next thing. And when we think we're kind of done. So he stopped the interview in the middle of it. Uh, I, 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 his, his handler stopped the interview. I'm like, oh, come on, I'm almost done here. And they go, no, 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 no. You want us to do this. So they pulled him aside to tell him that he had just won the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. And um, so he comes and sits back down. And, you know, there are tears in his eyes. And which at which point I almost started to cry. And then he talked about the impact of that and what it meant and what it meant for his people and 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 the work that he'd done. And of course, he was a very humble man and did not like, you know, talked about it It was the work of of many, 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 many people to get to this point point in their life in South Africa. So that was you know, that was that was pretty cool. Um, I also went to Mongolia with the American Museum of Natural History. Um, which is located in New York because I showed my own for a while. And um, if you've never been to Mongolia, it's quite a place. Yeah. And we went into the middle of the Gobi Desert, where there is nothing for 700 miles except us and the museum and its rock star paleontologists who were looking for dinosaurs. Wow. And so we found some, but the most fun part is that when they go on these digs, they have to, you have to bring everything in. They brought generators and, and freezers full of food and they brought some fine wine with them and they brought their guitars. And so at night we'd sit in the middle of the desert where you can hear a pin drop for miles, you know, they play their guitars and we'd have a little glass of wine and it was just like surreal. That's amazing.
1: What uh what an incredible memory. And uh wow, I could just sit here and do an entire we we could probably do an entire podcast just listening to your stories. Um, especially, I mean, I just in particular, um, not in a m- morbid way, but just always really um I like to hear stories of where people were on 9-11 and they're just their different perspectives. And I grew up right outside of DC. So, you know, the the Pentagon was was you know, very sure. close to home. A lot of my friends, cause I was in high school at the time. And a lot of my friends were, uh, their parents worked in the Pentagon. So, you know, I, I just always am really fascinated, um, by those stories. And I think it's important because it's something that I then try to, to teach my kids who, you know, mm-hmm. grew up in a post nine 11 era and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, that's, is to us as you know the John F. Kennedy's assassination was to my parents and and all those kinds of things and so I, I yeah I'm fascinated by those stories. I want to take a quick break from my conversation with Jane to thank our partner of the show, and that's Mama Suds. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how much I love Mama Suds. I love supporting small mama-owned businesses, and Mama Suds is no exception. They are a company that has incredible effective, non-toxic household cleaning products. We have personally used everything from their laundry soap, their dish soap, their, you know, stain stick, their shower steamers, uh, Castile soap, you name it. We love it. We use it in our home. And I, again, I love that her products smell great. They are clean, safe ingredients, but most of all, I love that they work. (laughs) There are so many times I feel like I will try, uh, you know, a safe or a non-toxic product and it just doesn't work. But oh my goodness, Mama Suds products work and I want you to try them. So head on over to mamasuds.com and use the coupon code Molly and that will get you 15% off your order. That's mamasuds.com. Use the coupon code Molly for 15% off your order. Now back to my conversation with Jane Hansen. Okay, I want to shift gears just a little bit um, because there was something you had said in the beginning, um, and I know that this is also something that you, you know, today and what you do in in communications coaching and media coaching and video coaching, um, you work with a lot of women, and a lot of it comes from your experience as a woman in in media and as a woman in in Mm -hmm. broadcasting, and you talked about how, you know, you worked you know, during a time when it was just harder and there are, I mean, we could, there's so many things about that that are just, oh man, I I want, I would love to unpack. Um, But I'm, I'm so curious, like just in, again, in your experience and, you know, talking about how you, you coach women through this now, Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things that you learned over the years that you really really, try to hone in on and helping women, um, you know, whether it's, again in on video, on stages and communication and in interviews, all those kinds of things, like that you kind of take from your experience,
0: um, you know, into today. well, one of the things that's interesting about women and communications, and by the way, some of the most prominent women in the world tell me that when they walk into a boardroom full of men, they feel like they're in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And so what that says to me is there's still, we still have a perspective of ourselves that we need to change. And many times I almost feel like I'm a, a shrink in that <laughs> <laughs> part of me is trying to help instill self-confidence in them. Mm-hmm. A little story that just kind of illustrates this fact. When women speak in front of an Audience, any kind of an audience. In I'm I'm talking about in person now, not virtually for the most part. But they'll see somebody out in the audience, and they'll be they'll be doing a fine job. They'll see somebody out in the audience on their phone, looking at their phone, and immediately get rattled, thinking, "I'm not doing a good job. I'm not being interesting. They're not listening to me," Um, and their whole their brain just goes spins out of control. A guy on the other hand, who sees somebody on the phone, says. One of two thoughts, a man, this dude's missing the best speech of his life, or I bet he's I'm so good. He's tweeting everything out about me. Mm. So um, we need to be better advocates for our own abilities and to be kinder to ourselves. Mm. We wouldn't be in the jobs that we have. And when I'm training really high level women, I need them to understand that they're the expert on whatever it is they're speaking about. Or they're the boss, or they're the leader of a team, or whatever they are, they would not be the person doing the talking if they didn't know more about it than anybody else in the room. So, therefore, you have to own your expertise Hmm. and you have to focus on your purpose. And there have been a ton of studies out there that show if women focus on what their purpose is, what their mission is for being there, they'll be able to get all that other stuff out of the way instead of thinking about oh, my hair, or (laughs) this dress is uncomfortable, or, you know, all that other junk just goes away if we literally can get to the place where we're focusing on our our purpose for being there. Yeah. A second thing that we really need to do is to, you know, Winston Churchill once said, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So we really need to super prepare for what we do. And when somebody says, oh, I'm just going to wing it, I, I want to just wring their neck. <laughs> because so many things can go wrong anyway. Be prepared for what the message is that you want to deliver and make sure that message is really super clear. And not, you know, another thing about women, are, are we just like think about even when women want to apply for jobs, there'll be 15 criteria that are listed and they'll have 14 of them, but they won't have that 15th and they'll say, oh, no, I can't do this whereas again different perspective the male perspective is ah so what i've yeah. got this nailed so it's um i don't I, I think i think it's better now but i think some of it stems from our our childhood when even as sometimes as a girl in a classroom we don't want to show how smart we are we don't want to answer all the questions because we don't want to be the 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 star um many women say to me well i don't want to be boastful i don't want to be a braggart And so, yeah, so my response to that is there are ways to talk about it, and I'm going to teach them how, where you're not being a braggart, where you're simply talking about what you know, and the mission is to share that knowledge, share that expertise to help others. And so there's ways of doing that. And a lot of it is by telling stories, by the way. And if you can can create that kind of aura about you, then you will communicate so much better. But it's, well,
1: yeah, no, I, can see. I love this so much. I love this so much. Because this is something that I, I mean, I have had to work through personally. And so I I feel that uh, deep within, uh, like you're in a lot of ways speaking to somebody like me, and I hear from women All the time in different spaces that I'm in, who struggle with the same thing, and I always try to tell them, I'm like, you're not alone. Like you're not alone. You're not alone. You, you know. And so, and I, because I, I look back on on things in my life where I ended up in a lot of male dominated areas for some reason (laughs) I don't know why. Um, Which you know, not a bad thing, but just was a reality. Is a lot of times I was in in male dominated spaces or had my kind of was in a role where uh, I was typically. You know, in a male dominated space. Um, and before we were recording, one of the things that uh, I, I told you about was how I get paid to talk to people now. And when I was growing up, you know, I was always in class, you know, getting told by teachers or administrators, I talk too much, I'm, I laugh too loudly, I'm too much. And I remember one of my first jobs out of college. I was working in... I think I've told this story on the podcast before. So if you're listening and you've heard it before, forgive me if you haven't. Here you go. Um, (laughs) One of my first jobs right outside of college was I worked for Tim Kaine, who was at the time governor of Virginia. And uh, I was a fellow in Tim Kaine's office. And um, I had... Because I was, I had been student body president at my university, and so I applied for this fellowship, and so I got this fellowship. And there were women in the fellowship; it was definitely more men than women. Um, but I ended up getting getting put in the governor's policy office, which was almost entirely uh, male. There were definitely a few a few women, um, but I all everybody around me was was male primarily, um, and my office was right outside of the governor's office. And, um, my supervisor one day pulled me into his office and told me that I, um, laughed too loudly and that my laugh was disturbing, uh, to some of the people that I worked with. And I mean, I I still got my job done. I still, I was one of the, the top, you know, kind of fellows in the program. I mean, I, it didn't affect my work. I just would have conversations and I would laugh and my loud genetic laugh, uh, landed me in trouble. And I remember, um, I've, that I had walked out of the office and I was so defeated. I just felt so small and just like, I'm too much. And why am I here? And I don't deserve this and all these kinds of things. And um, Governor Kane had actually happened to walk down the hallway and he passed me and he stopped me and he said, Molly, are you okay? And I said, I... I, you know, and he said, tell me, tell me what's going on. And so he eventually kind of dragged it out of me. I didn't tell him who told me, uh, I didn't want to like throw this guy under the bus. And he looked at me and he said, you don't ever let anybody steal that joy that you have. That is a gift from God. Embrace it. And I said, "Oh, well, well, thank you, Mr. Like, I said, I th- said, thank you, governor. And then um, he said, all right, now get back to work. And I said, okay, sir. <laughs> like I went back, but <laughs> oh. yeah, but you know, women, I mean, nobody's was gonna ever say that to a man. That, like, that's a reality. Like, man's never gonna get pulled into his office and be like, your laugh is too loud. But I've carried that with me for years. And so here I am, you know, at 37. And, um, you know, just a couple weeks ago, I was talking with my husband. And I was saying how, you know, I'm, I've been really kind of struggling on kind of pitching myself for speaking engages because I've traveled and and spoken at conferences and things like that for years. And I had all these ones lined up pre COVID and then COVID, you know, canceled all those events and I haven't been able to rebook anything. And anyway, and I was saying, and he's like, well, just ask, just pitch yourself. And I was like, but, but I can't do that. I can't do that because I'm, because there's people that are better than me. And he's like, what You know what I mean? So I, I, I recognize what you're saying because that is literally me. (laughs)
0: So it look I'm terrible about asking people for favors. Yeah. Uh, um, but I mean small favors. I don't mean big things. I'm not yeah. afraid to go ask for uh, you know. But the thing is is that you don't get it if you don't ask for it. No, you're right. And the lesson learned by the way about what Governor Kane said to you is that while there may be people out there who think that something is irksome what he said should, that should be the part you carry with you. Yeah. And never the rest of it, because I mean, that's a blessing to have had him say that to you. Mm -hmm. And I I think that we, we take so much to heart because there's a whole thing. And I can, I mean, I I can, I can talk about this for hours. (laughs) Women love, we're people pleasers. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's a little, there's a little thing that we sometimes do when we speak, we have an uptick at the end of our, of our, um, we'll say something like, hello, my name is Jane Hansen. And when I say it like that, it sounds like I don't even know my own name. <laughs> and, and when we do this uptick, this, this up inflection, it turns a statement into a question, mm. but women do it a lot. And you know why they, that, and we do it frequently because we don't want to be like the smartest person in the world in yeah. the room because we want to please people. We like pleasing people. We're nurturers. It's inside of us. It's why we're so good at some things and sometimes so bad at other things. Yeah. Because and pleasing people is a wonderful trait, but at the same time, we can't do it to our own detriment. And so I think that's one of the things that gets in our way is we don't ever want to hurt somebody's feelings. We don't ever want to yeah. be we don't want to put people down we want to be gracious we always try to share the credit when frankly sometimes nobody else deserves the credit so right so, i love you <laughs> yes so it's you know own what you have yeah and don't don't be a jackass about it but own what you have yeah and be thrilled with what you've been given and then use that to help others yeah
1: and I love how you talked about purpose and obviously uh, that's obviously a topic that's very close to my heart because that's a whole I have a whole podcast about it. Um and but how you know purpose is behind everything that we do and you know in order to be successful in order to be um you know really where you know I believe that God has placed you is to focus on that purpose and and I remember I read something uh, I think it was on your website where you talk about how purpose helps you to eliminate fear and mm-hmm. it releases uh, things that have held you back. And I couldn't agree more because it really is when you have that drive and not just a it's some it's focusing on something that is bigger than you. And uh-huh. and I even love how you alluded to you know when you have a skill or you have a knowledge that you. It's your to use it to serve others and to to bless others with that knowledge, so that you can then equip other leaders, other communicators, other you know insert X, Y, or Z um, that it is not for you to just hoard this information or knowledge or skill or or talent, um, but that you're to to steward
0: it. That's absolutely right. And I will tell you what I have never felt that work was work. Yeah, any day of my life, because. I always knew uh, there was always this purpose or this mission to it, and it was. And by the way, it was also fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I think when you focus on purpose, it takes away. It doesn't mean that it's drudgery. It means that it's you're there doing something that brings you, brings makes you feel good, may brings you some happiness, and it doesn't matter what the job is. It it really doesn't. So I, I, I just. You know, when somebody says to me, oh, I have to work tomorrow or, oh, I get the day off. I'm so happy. I'm like, wow, I've never, ever felt like that. Mm. So there's just, I mean, there's, there's so much to think about this, but, but, and, and by the way, your purpose can change Yeah. over time. It's not like I have one purpose and this will be my purpose for the rest of my life and your purpose and and your purpose can be a daily thing. Today my purpose is to actually be able to write that story that's going to that I'm going to be able to get out there. I mean I write for Forbes on um, I write columns for Forbes and some days my purpose is simply to get that article out there so that it brings some inspiration or some um some laughs or some something to somebody else. And then maybe the next day my purpose is to Make sure I'm um, you know, preparing to do a big speech tomorrow to make sure that 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 I get it right, that I do a good job, that I help the people that are listening to it, that. And so, you know, every single day, there's kind of a different purpose. And someday my purpose, some days my purpose is I just got to get organized because I'm a mess. Yeah. So, but um, but if you focus on what it is that you're trying to do with your life. And I don't think people take I don't think people have time to sit down and think about that. You know, yeah. and it's really like, do you sit every day? Do you do any kind of a journal or do you do a gratitude thing? I or do. You- yeah.
1: Yeah. I, um, I actually, I journal every morning. Um, I kind of part of my morning routine is get up, I do my Bible reading and then I've got my, um, my journal that I just kind of every day I write a little bit of what I'm thankful for. But then I a lot of times, it's just kind of me writing out my prayer for the day or or, or something that I'm really just focused on at that time. And, and yeah, it has been um, a, a habit I've developed over the years that is Key to who I am, and um, if you if you see the video, so right behind my head, those multicolored journals, those are all my oh. journals over the last couple of years, and I'll look at them regularly, and it's fun to go and to see well here's what you know I was praying for a few years ago or here's the thing that was really on my heart or on my mind a few years ago or to see the answered prayers that I'm now sitting in or um, just things that I was grateful for in the moment, whether it was something as simple as you know a beautiful fall day or you know uh, fresh sheets. I mean there's nothing better than crawling into a bed with fresh sheets I mean or just a really delicious meal or laughter with friends or something like that that's just those little things all the way up to the big things of like, I'm, I'm writing my first book and I was able to look back and see the prayers that I had two, three years ago when I started working on my proposal and like praying about that and all of that. And to see like, Oh, I'm now doing the thing that I prayed for all those years ago. And it's, yeah, it is, it totally shifts
0: your perspective. And I think it's really important to do. I just, I don't think we spend enough time kind of delving into um, ourselves, yeah. And when you do, it can change. I, I especially think it's important when, when maybe you feel like life has shifted a bit, and it's not something doesn't feel right. It feels off kilter, and that's when you really need to kind of focus on. well, what do I truly want? What do I desire? What am I looking for? And, and it all gets back to that word, purpose. Mm-hmm. If if you do that on a regular basis, and And I am the more, I mean, I know you hear this. I know people say this all the time. The more you, the more you get into gratitude, um, the better your life will be. And it sounds really trite because we hear it so many places on pillows all over the world, right? But it is true. Yeah. And the more you get into the gratitude about what you have the opportunity to do and see, the better it will be. And I you know, I keep going back to um, uh, you know my my family and my my little hometown is the foundation of my life, and um, you know my parents are both long dead, and um, but I feel the things they taught me every day. Yeah, and I think we need to we we need to just take and and you now I have aunts and uncles and all of that that have just they're just consistently inspired me yeah. in ways they don't even know. Mm. And I'm gonna bet that you inspire people in ways you don't know. I know that people have said things to me where they're all, and I get chills when I think about it, when they'll say, I remember when you did this for me. Mm. and I would have completely forgotten it. Like I didn't even know that at that moment in time, I was doing something that was going to help either brighten that day for that person or give them some kind of a, some, something. I had no idea. Yeah. So it's really super important to feel what you've been given and to use it. Mm,
1: So good. So good. Jane, man, I could... I could talk to you for hours. Um, Well, before we get to the get to know you round, because we're running out of time, um, I just, you know, how can people connect with you if they just want to support your work, work with you, uh, you know, just see more of, uh, you know, what you have to offer or hear your stories? Where can they best connect with you?
0: Well, you can reach me through my website, which is super simple. It's Jane Hanson with an O-N dot com. Um, That's the best way. And it's got a connection on it. or there's an email that you can use, which is jane at Janehanson.com.
1: <laughs> I make it really super simple. You do. You got to keep it simple. Well, I just am such a big fan of you. I'm a, I am adore you. And I knew uh, right away that you and I would um, just connect. And this has been such a encouraging conversation and something that I think so many women and, and men too can connect with and um like I said I hear from women all the time who want to get into some type of communication space and mm-hmm. um I'm gonna be like you need to listen to this conversation because this is I mean like I said I mean I've even been in this space for nearly 20 years and I still struggle with this. So you know what I mean? It's just it's a it is a constant battle
0: that we're that we're fighting against and um and and it is and and you just said and men too I don't want to leave. Yeah. Out because I mentioned my father was extremely important to me, Uh, and and I have two brothers. Um, I have had wonderful male mentors who have given me, you know, they've promoted me in my career. They've given me wonderful sage advice, and they're just really super, super. um, So, um, so you know, they too, yeah, need communication help, and they too have wonderful things you know to offer, and so. Um, I, I want us, I want us to, I just want us to all get along. I know exactly <laughs> the whole no. world. I want us to all get along.
1: Same, same. Yeah. And you echo my, my sentiments exactly. And my, and like I said, my husband is, is just amazing. And I, uh, he and I have talked ad nauseum about this and he's been one of my biggest encouragers. And, um and then like, I told that story of, of Tim Kane, who, you know, just, you know, yeah, such exactly. a great example of, of somebody who just, you know, said the thing that needed to be said at the time and really encouraged me. And, um, and I have an amazing dad who has also been like my biggest, my biggest fan, you know, over the years. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And, um, it's just, it's always one of those things where I just tell women, I'm like, we just need to be as confident as like, walk around as confident as, as the
0: men in our lives. Do. That's exactly right. And we can do it because we've got it all. Yeah. I mean, we do think about it. Everything that we can do, we can be moms. We can be bosses. We can be, we can seek out these careers. We've got so much more freedom than, than the generations that went before us. Yeah. And that is just, it's amazing how much we've grown in, in the time of my career, the growth of women and what they have accomplished to spend, utterly remarkable. And I'm grateful for those who have come before me and those who have helped me along the way. Mm, So good.
1: All right, Jane. Well, before we go, this is the part of the show where we ask just some fun, lighthearted, get to know you questions. Uh So, Jane, are you ready for the get to know you round? Of course. (laughs) All right, cool. Question number one of all of your pet peeves, which one is the strangest?
0: Oh, Oh, man, I don't even know how to open how to answer that. Um, I would say people who are late. <laughs> I mean, I know it's strange because no, in it's not strange. World, I can't stand people who are late. It drives me absolutely nuts. Way beyond normal. <laughs>
1: I love it. I love it. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. What is something that has happened either this summer or in the past year that has had a really um big impact on you or has been particularly
0: memorable? Um I would say the most memorable thing that I did this past year was taking a trip to South Africa. Oh, wow. And seeing the absolute beauty of that country. It's got a lot of issues, but the unbelievable beauty of that country and being on the other side of the world where the constellations are upside down mm. and the um the the people that i met and then going on a safari to watch nature in its purest form and having lions walk within you know inches of me yeah and ignoring me they didn't even want to eat me like what i'm not good enough <laughs> <laughs> but anyway uh, so that to me was perhaps one of the most memorable things I've ever done in my life. It was really amazing.
1: Oh, uh, Africa is, I've never been to South Africa, um, but I've been to other parts of Africa and it really is just the most beautiful continent. And it is just the landscape and, uh, that you're right. The nature, the animals is just, it's incredible. There's nothing like it, truly nothing like it. Okay. Uh, inevitably in the movie that is going to be made about your life, who would you want to play you in that movie? Well, I would probably
0: like somebody like a Reese Witherspoon.
1: Oh yes. Do you do you watch Morning Show? Of course. <laughs> I was going to say you have to. You have to. And,
0: you know, there's some truth and there's some uh, way over the edge things in there. It's yeah. you know, it's a, it's. I like it, but there's some things that I would do differently. Yeah. The reason I say Reese or somebody like her would be because I like sassy. I like you know even though she's you know really pretty and cute she's not like you know over the edge and there's just a I'm a hometown kind of girliness to her that is sort of kind of what I was and probably still am.
1: I love it. Oh, that's so great. Okay. And then the last question that I ask all my guests is uh, Jane, what does it mean to you to run a business
0: with purpose? It means life my life's work. I have aha moments when somebody actually turns a corner and they become an amazing communicator. And they understand what it, the little, tiny, subtle things that they can do—they're going to make a huge difference in the way they are seen, perceived, accepted, how they resonate, and how it really helps them become more successful. That, to me, is just—it's mind-blowingly wonderful.
1: Mm. Mm. So good. So good. Jane, this has been an absolute honor and a pleasure. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for uh, just the gift that you are to this world.
0: Oh, thank you. Don't make me cry. <laughs> thank you for being here. And thank you. Had a wonderful, wonderful time with you.
1: Love, love, loved this conversation with Jane. She is just absolutely brilliant. And uh, like I said, I, I told you I could listen to her stories all day long. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If there is something that you liked or something that you learned, would you share this episode or this show with somebody on social media? You can uh, find me. I'm at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. So you can tag us, and that is totally free and easy for you to do. And it really helps the show to grow and it helps support the show. Also, would you take a moment, would you go to your favorite podcast listening app and would you click that subscribe or follow or whatever button it is there to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the show? And would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Now I want you to go and do something good with purpose on purpose.